Mark 6, 1 through 13. He went away from there and came to his hometown, and his disciples followed him. And on the Sabbath he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were astonished, saying, Where did this man get these? What is the wisdom given to him? How are such mighty works done by his hands? Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, and brother of James, and Joseph, and Judas, and Simon? Are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. And Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and among his relatives and in his own household. And he could do no mighty work there except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief. And he went about among the villages teaching. And he called the twelve and began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over the unclean spirits. He charged them to take nothing for their journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in their belts, but to wear sandals and not put on two tunics. And he said to them, Whenever you enter a house, stay there until you depart from there. And if any place will not receive you, and they will not listen to you, when you leave, shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them. So they went out and proclaimed that people should repent. And they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. Thank you, Stephanie. Appreciate that. Well, good morning. One of the things that I've noticed as I read different periodicals is uh, you will find in, in Time magazine and in Life uh, magazine, every time around uh, Easter and around Christmas time, you always, you always find the, the cover of the magazines are about Jesus. Who is Jesus? The search for Jesus. Jesus uncovered. And you'll continue to see that all throughout these last many decades uh, in these periodicals. Uh, people are trying to understand uh, who Jesus is. And that's what I want us to take a look at this morning, is who is this man, Jesus? The disciples are learning more and more about him. Jesus is out teaching and loving and, and bringing forth his truth. He's revealing himself to all those around him, and he will continue to reveal himself all the way to the cross. He will continue to reveal himself after his resurrection, and he will show that he is Savior of the world, that he is the light, that he is the lover of our souls. Who is this man? Jesus. He's been teaching his disciples more about himself, and he goes into the synagogues, and his primary role is <clears throat> to go and to teach the Word of God. The, let the power of God's Word impact people's hearts. That was his primary ministry. It's amazing in the power of the word itself. And I hope for all of us, as we bring forth God's truth, uh, that we'll be reminded the power of the word is sufficient. We don't have to gloss it up. We don't have to add a bunch of extra things. The power of the word is sufficient. And it does its work. The scriptures say one there to his hometown, to Nazareth, and his disciples followed him, And on Sabbath he began to teach in the synagogues. And many who heard him were astonished, saying, Who is this man? 
So Jesus goes back to his hometown, Nazareth. It's kind of like going to uh, your 20-year high school reunion, right? You're showing up. It's a little bit uncomfortable. People are kind of filling you out. You know, what have you become of yourself? Imagine asking Jesus that question. What have you become? But he goes back. The, the thing that's really amazing about Jesus going back to Nazareth, it didn't, it didn't work out very well the first time. He went about a year ago, and he shows up in Nazareth, and he shows up in the synagogue, and he's teaching out of Isaiah 61, and basically he professes that he is the promised Messiah. And so they're not very thrilled to hear about that. And so what do they do? They take him to a cliff, and they want to throw him off it. But he sneaks out of the crowd and escapes. One of the things I don't want you to miss about Jesus returning to Nazareth Again, they wanted to kill him for his claiming to be Jewish Messiah. Is that as Jesus returns, don't you see this amazing picture of grace? Here's a people who hate him. Here's a people who wanted to kill him. And yet he's going to come back and share more about his love for them. He's going to come back and teach in the synagogues and remind them of who God is, the Father, and of the promised Messiah. And he wants to teach their hearts, and let their hearts be permeated. Isn't that grace? And isn't that what God does with us? Keeps coming back, keeps touching our hearts. He knows there's times where we kick against him, where we want nothing to do with him, but he keeps coming back. Our Jesus, full of grace. Who is this man? He's a man full of grace. He goes back to a place where they have contempt. Familiarity breeds contempt, doesn't it? And as they hear him teaching in the synagogue, they're blown away by his teaching and they're asking, basically, who is this man? We get the same question, really, from the disciples. Remember when I was teaching about the disciples out on the boat with Jesus and the storms arise up and they think Jesus doesn't care about him, about all of the disciples. And he calms the storm And he says, what is going on? Do you not have faith? And they're basically saying, who is this guy? That even he speaks to the waves and they listen to him. They calm down. So the disciples are wondering who Jesus is. They're learning more about him. Those who hear him teach are wondering, who is this guy? And all throughout the centuries, we're asking the same questions. Time and life are all the time. Who is this guy? Jesus. And I'm here to tell you, He is Savior of the world. Let's pray. Father, I just really ask this morning that your Holy Spirit would uh, come and minister to us. I pray that you would speak to our hearts. I know there are some in this room who are really still asking, who is this guy? Who is this man, Jesus? And I pray that you would touch them right now. I pray that we would come to know you fully, Savior of the world, light, our shepherd. Come to know that you are good and full of grace. Come to know that you give salvation to all who would believe upon you. Spirit, do your work this morning. I pray. Amen. They're amazed at who he is. They're astonished. They actually have a fear in the middle of it. And here's what's interesting. They have, the disciples as well as those around, they have seen All of these incredible miracles, haven't they? They've heard him teach. They've experienced truth. 
They've experienced his healings that have gone on. They're in awe. You know, it's like, it's like the birth of a child. Gabrielle was just born to the, the Kramers. You know what's amazing about the birth of a child? Each, each and every one of you know this, who, who've experienced this. When that child is born, you stand in absolute awe. It's one of the most amazing moments in life. And, and, and you can't believe that this little person is born. And all that, that came with that and God's creation of that beautiful child. And then there are many who will dismiss that real quickly. The great dismissal. Well, this child just came, this child evolved over years and years and years. This is how this wonderful creation came about. We're so thankful for it, but it really came from evolution and and cells that formed over thousands of years. The great dismissal. You know, I I was at a zoo recently, and literally uh, at the gorilla cage, and a little boy on his father's shoulders... And they were talking about, amazing, the hands and, and the way it looks at you and, and all of these uh, human features that we look at. And the little boy, very clear, Daddy, isn't this, isn't this what we were formed from? And the father said, yes, son, it is. I wanted to scream. But that's, that's what's being taught, the great dismissal. We're not God's beautiful creation. We're just a bunch of cells that just randomly fell together. Maybe we came out of a primordial soup and all of a sudden developed. The great dismissal, that's what happens with Jesus. You know, he comes and he teaches in the synagogues and it's like the birth of a new child. Ah, amazing. And then very quickly they're going to dismiss everything that he's bringing. They're going to dismiss him as Savior, as Messiah. They dismiss him on who he is. They dismiss him on his family connections. And we oftentimes, and you see it around us, we too are part of the great dismissal. I want to share just a real quick video with you guys. Some of you may have seen it. It's of a, one of the greatest uh, violinists in the world. His name's Joshua Bell. And he set up in the metro in Washington, D.C. for 45 minutes. He just wore a baseball cap, came down in and played. Again, People, people pay hundreds and hundreds of dollars per ticket to see this guy. He sold out, just, just the week before, he sold out the Boston Symphony Hall. Sold it out. And he brought down into, into the Metro. Again, he's one of the greatest. He brings his $3 million Stradivarius. And he starts to play Mozart. Take a look at what happens.
Only one person ended up coming and talking with him. He made 32 bucks that day. Everybody dismissed him. Just a street guy, beggar, get a job. And that's what we do with Jesus, the great dismissal. Here's Jesus playing the violin, playing this love song, wooing our hearts, always. And we just walk right by. Jesus doing incredible miracles in our lives, and we just dismiss it. There must be some scientific proof to dismiss all of this. They dismiss him. Is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon? Are not his sisters with us? And they took incredible offense at him. See, as the people of Nazareth heard Jesus, they came to a place where they they thought they knew everything about Jesus. We knew this kid. Wait, isn't he the carpenter? Isn't he the guy who was building stuff? I think I actually have a table in my room that he made. Isn't that who this guy is? Their hearts were beginning to be pierced, and they would not allow that to happen. So we will dismiss him. They were amazed at who he was, but they came to a place, you're just a poor beggar playing a violin. You're no better than we are, really, is what they're saying. It says in the scriptures they were, they were offended at him. They were repelled to the point of abandonment of him. And so what do people do when they're offended and when they don't understand? They ridicule. They mock. That's the way they dismiss Jesus. Isn't he the son of Mary? Joseph, it's not, it's not just that Joseph isn't mentioned here because he's probably passed away. You never... You never call a child the son of a mother. Never. Do you remember, sometimes I think we forget this, do you remember Mary's reputation? It's a shame culture. They don't, they don't lose track. Oh yeah, Mary had this baby. Said it's by the Holy Spirit. Out of wedlock. Do you remember her reputation? So when you call someone the son of Mary, you know what you're calling her. And so they're saying of Jesus, he's just of that woman, really, who that floozy, that harlot, slept around before marriage. And they ridicule him. We will dismiss. Here's Jesus doing this incredible work. They're blown away by it. He's starting to touch hearts. But then the enemy and the flesh and everything, and their hatred for Jesus, they will dismiss him. And so they do. I think one of the questions that all of us have to ask is, is are we dismissing Jesus in any ways? You know, the reality is in this room, there are some of you who just don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ yet. yet. But Jesus keeps playing that violin. He wants to woo you, to draw you to himself. Don't keep dismissing his hand of love upon you. Who is this man? He is Jesus, the Messiah, the Savior. He is God in the flesh. Some of us maybe dismiss Jesus in that we, we only believe parts of his truth. Thank you, Jesus, for sharing your word. But there are certain parts I don't really, don't really agree with. And so we dismiss Jesus when he says, this is my word, obey me. If you love me, you'll obey my commands. And yet we dismiss Jesus. I'll obey part of your commands and who you are. I know you're holy God. Sometimes we dismiss him and his power because... 
We forget that he has the power of the resurrection. He has the power to heal. He has the power to redeem. And we dismiss his power. We think he's not really capable of doing these things. This isn't really the God who was raised from the dead. And so we dismiss him. There's issues of faith, and the Lord Jesus is always dealing with us, all of us, in our faith and in our growth. The disciples were wrestling with their faith. Those in Nazareth are wrestling with their faith. They wouldn't, they wouldn't actually allow themselves to have faith and to believe. And you know why, I think? I think because they didn't understand Jesus fully. But that should never keep us from relationship with Jesus. Aren't we all growing in that and understanding who he is? Aren't we all learning more and more about him as he works on our hearts? For us to fully understand God, what kind of God would that be? And so he's always working on our faith. He's doing that with the disciples. And again, in his love for those in Nazareth, he's, he's wanting to grow. Oh, that you'd have faith like a mustard seed. Remember in Mark 2, they, they dropped the guy out of the ceiling because of your faith. Your sins are forgiven. You've been healed. When Jesus is calming the storm in Mark 4 because of your faith. And have you still no faith? I want you to trust me. But they couldn't come to a place of faith, so they dismissed him. And verse 5 says, He could do no mighty work there, except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and he healed them. Yeah. That shouldn't be taken lightly. Those people who were really sick, I'm sure they were so thankful to Jesus. But his power was really limited by lack of faith. And look what verse 6 says. I don't want you to miss this. He marveled because of their unbelief. There's only two records in the gospel accounts uh, of Jesus ever marveling. You know where the first one is? Good job, young man. The Roman centurion. Remember, he comes to Jesus. Hey, I'm a guy who's under authority. I know how this works. So you just say the word. And Jesus says, never, never have I seen such great faith. And he marveled over that centurion. Faith issues. Jesus marvels. And he marvels here at what? Their lack of faith. Their unbelief. Faith is a huge deal for Jesus. And he marvels at their unbelief. How does Jesus marvel at you and me? Like the Roman centurion? Or like those in Nazareth? A.W. Tozer said, Every man will have to decide for himself whether or not he can afford the terrible luxury of unbelief. Jesus is calling us into a life of faith, of believing upon him, of learning to trust him. Coming to know him fully. Who is this man? He is Jesus, the Messiah, the Savior of the world. You know, let me just make a comment real briefly here um, about, about trusting him with our family, about as we minister to our family. Because I know a lot of you, uh, and like me, uh, you, you want to minister to your family, those who don't know Jesus because you want them to come into salvation and you want them to have life and you care about them. But one of the, one of the things I see in this passage and, and one of the things that I hope, I hope you can learn to trust Jesus in this is that I don't want you to be discouraged when you're treated like Jesus was treated in Nazareth, where you're totally dismissed, 
I don't want you to be discouraged in that. You know, if God is calling you to minister to your family, that's a good thing. And keep sharing whatever God puts on your heart. But I don't want you to be discouraged that you may just get totally dismissed. Yeah, keep playing that violin. Jesus had a real hard time with his family. There is no honor for a prophet here. And so keep running the race. But trusting God, guess what? He loves your family more than you ever could. And he will find a way. And he's going to keep playing that violin. And he's going to bring other people and pray for that. Maybe there's some other people who can step into your family member's life to share the good news of Jesus Christ. So pray for that. Because I know we struggle, we feel like failures. Gosh, I've shared, I've shared all about Jesus, and my family member just basically says, whatever. But when we ask ourselves, who is this man? And we recognize that he is the Messiah, the Savior. We can't help but sharing about him. Everybody's asking, the disciples don't fully understand, but their hearts are changing. And they're growing in faith, and they're starting to, to recognize, wow, all that Jesus is doing, and he's revealing himself, and it's touching their hearts, and they're trying to understand God in the flesh, and he's Lord of the Sabbath, and he, he, he claims to be the Messiah. This fulfillment of prophecy is here in Isaiah 61, and they're, they're learning. Again, they don't fully get it, but they're following Jesus. They're wanting to know him more. Here's the deal. Even though in Nazareth they would reject him, there would be those who would hear him, and there would be those who would believe, and who would be changed forever. The disciples are going to step out in faith, learning about their Lord. They're going to to bring the good news. And here's the deal with each and every one of us who's a follower of Jesus Christ. I believe that he's calling each and every one of us to step out in faith. Every one of us. Step out in faith. This is how he grows us up in him. And that we're learning to trust him with our lives. We're learning as we serve him. And he called the twelve and he began to send them out two by two. And he gave them authority over the unclean spirits. He called out the twelve to trust in him, to follow him, to believe upon him. Here's the deal with the disciples. They didn't just sit at Jesus' feet like Mary, although that's a good place to be. They didn't stay there. Do you understand what I'm saying? It's a good thing to sit at the feet of Jesus. It is. And to be taught by him and to hear and and to learn and to grow in him. That's a good thing. But they didn't just stay there. To be a disciple, you didn't just want to learn from the disciple, from the rabbi. Every Jewish boy who longed to be a disciple, he didn't just want to learn. He wanted to be like the rabbi. You can't miss that. He wanted to be like the rabbi. Thank you for all this incredible truth. I want more than this. I want to be like you. Don't you want to be like the rabbi? Don't you want to be like Jesus? And they step out in faith. You see, it's good. We go to church and we go to Bible study groups and we, and we, we, learn, we learn in this church family. And we sit and, and we grow but here's what I think the Lord is calling us to, to sit, to sit at the feet of Jesus and then to serve, be sent out. And he called them and he sent them out two by two. Where is God calling you and to be sent out? All these songs that we were singing this morning, to be sent out. Because I believe in the Father, I believe that Jesus is the Son of God, I believe in the resurrection, I'm sent out with that good news. Only empowered by the Holy Spirit, right? We can't do it on our own, right? Right? 
keep trying to do it in our own strength, we're going to fall on our face. They go out, proclaiming the good news to a world that's hungry for it. Then look what he does. He sends them out two by two. He sends us out in community, I believe. God's a God of relationship, isn't he? Two by two has the idea of, of you know, to have a good witness, a good testimony in court. You had to have a, two people at least. So part of that is for testimony's sake. But I think the bigger part is he sends them out two by two to give support and encourage each other, to strengthen one another. For if they fall, one will lift up his companion. But woe to him who is alone when he falls, for he has no one to help him. Two by two, so that we can remind each other of God's word. To use a variety of our gifts in the ministry at hand. Two by two, so that we can help each other not to fall into sin, right? We need accountability in our lives. I think if the Lord is placing on your heart to go and serve in ministry, to be sent out, whatever that looks like, I just want to encourage you, would you pray about inviting someone to join you to do that? That's the best ministry there is. It's life together. It's encouragement together. It's sharing. Right, like these guys right here. These guys all share in ministry right here. They do ministry uh, to widows. They do ministry. Uh, they help uh, serve for all of our funeral services together. They, they do that together. And then you have great relationships, don't you, because of that? You do. Nod, yes. <laughs> I know they do, even though they're half asleep right there. <laughs> no, but you know, it's beautiful. It's beautiful watching you guys serve together. And you guys know that when we do that together, uh, the life of Christ is just really played out. And so they're served, they encourage, they're sent out with power and authority. Jesus doesn't send us into something that he's not going to empower us to accomplish. His purpose is, right? Gives them authority to, to heal and to cast out demons. He sends in a place of urgency, too. And this is one of the things that you see in this passage. It's like, hey, this is what I want you to do. Don't take anything. It's time to go. Let's get this good news out there. It reminds me of the Exodus. You know, it's time to go. I'm going to deliver you. And as I deliver you, you are going to tell people about me. And so they go, they don't take anything with him. In the time of favor I heard you, in the day of salvation, I helped you. I tell you, now is the time of God's favor. Today is the day of salvation. Stop dismissing God. Stop dismissing Jesus. Today is the day of salvation. He sends them out in utter dependency. We hate this. We hate feeling like we're dependent on others. But it's in that place of utter dependence that God stretches our faith, isn't it? It's in that place that we see miracles of God and the way he provides for us. Here's what was happening. There was a rule for the Jewish rabbis that you couldn't enter the temple area. This is really, really interesting. You couldn't enter the temple area with a staff or shoes or a money bag because you wanted to avoid the appearance that you had any engagement in any other business and other than service to the Lord. This is a holy work we are about. There's no other engagement that we are involved with. There is nothing that is hindering us from our service unto the Lord. We are fully focused on who he is. When you start to realize who this man is, like the disciples did, 
When you accept that and believe it and respond to him, your heart is sent out in the life of Christ, and we are sent out together. Dependent upon them. Go out and bring the good news. And they said to him, whenever you enter a house, stay there, and you will depart from there. If any place will not receive you, and they will not listen to you, when you leave, shake off the dust that's on your feet as a testimony against them. Well, when you read verse 10, you kind of go, that's kind of mean. But there's a couple things going on. It was a culture of hospitality, wasn't it? And often into into many of these cities that they were going into, these towns, they were Gentile towns. And here here comes the good news. It was of tradition of the strict rabbis. If you walk through a Gentile town, they were a defiled city. They were unclean. And so as you came out of the town you would shake the dust off. I will not carry any defilement into Israel. And there's somewhat of that image. There is a judgment there. There is a, a, a way of the Lord where he's saying, if you're not going to listen to me, if you're not going to receive who I am, the reality is there is a judgment there. It'll be worse than Sodom and Gomorrah, he goes on to say. You see, God's a holy God who's playing the violin always, wooing us unto himself. But if you reject him and continue to reject him, he says, well, then that's going to be ultimate separation from me. And there's judgment on that. I think the other thing that the disciples are doing when they get the dust off their feet is basically saying, this dust, this dust doesn't belong to us. You see, God's the judge of this. We're we're not going to continue to force this down your throats. We've shared the good news of Jesus Christ. We're not going to continue to throw pearls before swine. We've shared that. This belongs to God. He's the ultimate judge. I'm not. And so the dust off the sandals. This is God's business. He will judge accordingly. But they went out and they preached the word in faith. They preached repentance. The men's hearts would be changed and turned. They went out and preached. You see, they didn't create a message They brought the message, the exact message that Jesus gave them. Bring the message of who I am. Bring the message of repentance and forgiveness of sin. Bring the message. And so they did. And they were sent out. And they trusted the Lord because they started to know who this man was, the Savior of the world. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just really pray this morning again that you would minister to our hearts. Help us, Father, to know you more. Stir us up, Father, to be sent out. That our life is no longer our own. We are bought with a price. That it is I who no longer live, but it is you who lives through me. So, Father, send us out. Empowered by you, trusting you, growing our faith. We belong to you, Jesus. And we know who you are. You are Savior of the world. You are the lover of our souls. In your beautiful and precious name, amen.